Welcome to Passion Church. For more information about Passion Church, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. a great day to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Incredible, incredible time. I'm hoping and praying that the uh, hail that we got this morning didn't tear anybody up. And uh, had a great first service, and I believe that we're going to have a great second service. And um, we, uh, Pastor Steve gives us the opportunity several times a year where we get a deemed Sunday as Element Sunday. And uh, that's where our youth and college team, that's where we take over and uh, we get a lead worship and you guys get stuck listening to me preach. Say amen. All right, we're on the right track. If y'all can amen that, you can amen anything else. But Pastor Steve and Julie, just like we need a break, they need a break every now and then. And this provides for them to receive a break in their life. But it also provides for the adults in the room that don't ever get a chance to be here on Sundays to see what, the, what we get to give to our young people at Passion Church, and it really is an exciting time because we have been blessed. We've been very blessed at Passion Church, and uh, great leaders in place that, that really pour out their heart and soul, as you can see, that the team just did. And uh, so we've been in a series uh, called The Porch, and uh, Pastor Steve's been preaching about the story of the prodigal son, and so he's been reading a story to you each week, and I'm going to read that story to you as well. So close your eyes and see if you can recreate this scene in your mind. Peering down the hillside, you see the homestead. Surrounded by a strong split rail fence, the yard is expansive. The long winding drive cuts down the left side of the property. Cast off toys long forgotten litter the yard and remind you that time has passed by quickly. The house is two stories. It's large, but it's not overwhelming. Black shutters flank each window. Landscaping manicured and yard trimmed. In the background, barns are well kept. Swarming activity can be seen as the investment of hard days in the field must now be managed. It's affluent, but it's not flashy. It's wealthy, but it's not wasteful. These are the prominent features. The windmill. The corrals, the worn tire swing hung under the aged tree that stands towering alone in the front yard. However, the one feature that stands out above all else is the large, inviting, wraparound porch lined with rocking chairs. A small round table holds the once used checker set. A sleeping dog stationed near the screen door. Muddy boots from the field are left on the first step. It's a gathering place at the end of a long day. Iced tea and lemonade have been shared here. No better place for late night cups of hot chocolate in the cool of fall evenings. Dates end in the swing on the far end of the porch where long moments of silence are filled with the spectacular views of a star-filled sky. The porch has served as base during intense games of tag. It has served as a safe haven from sudden spring showers. Stories, jokes, and serious discussions have found an audience here. Laughs, tears, and life 
have been experienced on this porch. The youngest son exits the scene. He grabs the old duffel bag, empties out his dresser drawers, stomps down the stairs, determined to make it on his own. He leaves his mother shattered in tears. He finds his father in the study, demands an early inheritance, opens the screen door as his father sits stunned, confused, scared, and scarred. And without hesitation or a second thought, he steps off the porch and heads into a new story. The porch. We've been talking about the porch and what the porch represents. And in this story of the prodigal son, we see that there is no greater story that depicts us when we fall away from Christ. When we decide, as the younger son did, we said, Father, we wish you were dead. You understand that inheritance comes to the children after the father and mother pass away. So he says, I want my inheritance now. I wish you were dead. Takes his inheritance and says, I've got this on my own, says every 16-year-old student. I tell my young people all the time that somewhere about 16, you feel like you know it all. And somewhere about the age of 24, you realize, I don't know it. I don't know nothing, but I better get some help. But he steps off the porch and runs away as some of us have done to Jesus. We step off the porch. We step off from out under the covering, from the safe haven, the place of safety and salvation in our life, and we run away. And then you see in the story that the son decides that when he's there, he says, you know what? My father's servants live better than this. He came to the conclusion because he spent all of his money and he wasn't having any more fun. Don't you know that sin gets to the place where you spend all your money and you ain't having no fun? You realize, I've got to go back. And when he's on his way back, the father sees him a long ways off and doesn't walk, doesn't crawl, but runs to meet the son and picks him up and gives him everything that he has to offer him. That's the That's the picture of when we fall away and decide, God, I want you again. He doesn't meet us halfway. He meets us more than halfway. That's the picture. And so in in this series that Pastor Steve and in his sermons, we've been talking about the prodigal son, and we've been looking at this story, and so far we've looked at it from the younger son's perspective, realizing that we can't be the younger son, that if we realize that we are off the porch, we got to get back on. We've looked at it from the father's perspective that we got to grasp and understand how great our father is. But today, I want to look at this story from the older son's perspective. I want to hopefully catch you off guard in a couple of ways. And so I want to read the story to you, but I want to pick up kind of in the middle because you guys all understand that the son left, asked for all of inheritance, wasted all of it, and decided to come back. And the father runs out to catch him. And we pick it up in Luke chapter 15, verse 22. It says, but the father wasn't listening. He was calling to the servants, quick, bring a set of clean clothes and dress him. Put the family ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then get a grain-fed heifer and roast it. We're going to feast. We're going to have a wonderful time. My son is here, given up for dead and now alive, given up for lost 
and now found. And they began to have a wonderful time. All this time, his older brother was out in the field. When the day's work was done, he came in. As he approached the house, he heard the music and dancing. Calling over one of the houseboys, he asked what was going on. He told him, your brother came home. Your father has ordered a a feast, barbecued beef. Say amen. Barbecued beef because he has him home safe and sound. Now pay attention. The older brother stalked off in angry sulk and refused to join in. His father came out and tried to talk to him, but he wouldn't listen. The son said, look how many years I've stayed here serving you, never giving you one moment of grief. But have you ever thrown a party for me and my friends? Then this son of yours who has thrown away your money on whores shows up and you go all out with a feast. His father said, son, don't you understand? You're with me all the time, and everything that is mine is yours. But this is a wonderful time, and we had to celebrate. This brother of yours was dead, and he's alive. He was lost, and he's found. Lord Jesus, thank you today for your scripture, for your living word, God, that changes us. God, I pray that you would change us, that you would challenge us today. By the use of your word and God that we would leave this place changed and transformed. In Jesus mighty name everybody said amen. You see that the older brother watches his younger brother run off with all of his dad's inheritance. Watches him waste it all. Come crawling all the way back. And then his father throws a party for him. And he's like what? No, that would have been good if he just said, what? No, he said, what? Got all kinds of upset. He got angry. He got jealous. He's like, you've never even thrown a small party for me and my friends. And then now your son who comes home wasted all of your inheritance. You throw the biggest party we could throw. The older son, we point our finger and tell him that he's silly. But don't we act just like the older son? Don't we act just like the older son who watches other people that have been serving God shorter amount of time than you and they're more blessed than you? Don't we watch other people be blessed in their life and we get mad because we don't have those same blessings? See, it's all gravy and everything's all good until you see your neighbor who doesn't even go to church, who gets to spend 10% of his tithe on whatever he wants to, and then all of a sudden he shows up and he doesn't deserve it and he doesn't know how, but he's gotten five raises and you don't even know what a raise looks like. The only raise you ever get is enough to put you in the next tax bracket so you lose less money. Right? You ever gotten that pay raise? It's like, thanks a lot. Now I'm in the higher tax bracket. I pay, now my paycheck's lower. You gave me a percent and a half. Thank you very much. I wish you'd have kept it. But we become the older brother. We become jealous and we become angry because we declare that the father hasn't given to us what he's given to other people. Come on. We become filled with jealousy 
Jealousy turns into anger, and anger turns into bitterness, and you live there the rest of your life. See, what I want you to catch is that the older brother had the same problem that we struggle with. The older brother lived his life in porch poverty. And if we're not careful, we too will live our life in porch poverty. What is porch poverty? It means that you're living on the porch, that you have the salvation, you have the benefits of being on the porch, but you don't access all of the great things from being on the porch, so you live your life in porch poverty. The son, the older brother, understood, he failed to understand that everything the father has was yours. It was his. All he wanted to do is complain and tell the father what he hadn't done for me. The NIV, I like it better. It says, you've never given us a small goat so that I could celebrate with me and my friends. I don't know about a goat, but maybe it's good. I'm willing to try it. I've eaten crazy things before. But we become, if we're not careful, we become like the older brother. We live our life in porch poverty. See, because what you have to understand is that you can live as a child of God. You can work for God and you can serve God all the days of your life and never access the fullness that God has for you. You can serve him until you're blue in the face. But you, if you don't purposely access what God has for you, then you live in porch poverty. You have to access what he has. See, God wants more for you than just salvation. As the old preachers used to say it, God ha- wants more for you than just fire insurance. See, some of you use God just as fire insurance to make for sure that you don't spend eternity in hell. But God has more for us than just fire insurance. God did not get you saved just so that you could be saved and sit on the porch. God got you saved because he had a plan for you, because he has a great plan for you. His plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. It is great and mighty things that he has prepared for you. But if you're not careful, you will live in porch poverty and never access the great and mighty things that God has for you. Because do you understand that your great things are different than my great things? And we want to get jealous of each other, but maybe God's got something different for you. We've got to make for sure that we don't live in porch poverty. I believe that to avoid porch poverty, we have to understand two things about this story. Two things that you have to understand about the father that relates from the father in this story to the father that we serve on a daily basis. And the first thing that you have to grasp is equal love. See, what the older brother really questioned is, Father, do you love me as much as you love him? Oh, God, why are they so blessed and I'm so stressed? Is it because you love them more than you love me? Do they live in a better house than I do because you love them more? Do they drive a nicer car, have a better job? Their kids don't even act a fool. Is it because you love them more than you love me? You have to understand that the father had equal love for both sons. Just like the Father in our life has equal love for every single 
person in this room. But you have to access the love from God. You have to access the love from God. See, I, I, I've, I've asked people, and they've told me when I was younger, that God loves everybody the same, but there are some people that love God more. Catch that. Catch that. God loves everybody in this room at the exact same level, unconditional love. He sent his son, his only son, to die on a cross for everybody in this room. But isn't it possible that your love for the Father is different than my love for the Father. And that his love for the Father is different than your love for the Father. It's possible that your love is different. And if we're not careful, we'll live in porch poverty. And it's not that the Father doesn't love us. But it's that we don't love the Father. See, Pastor Steve pointed out that the brothers, the younger and the older, had something in common. And what they had in common is that they both used the Father. You understand that they both used the Father, but they did not love the Father. The younger son used the Father saying, give me your money. I'm going to go spend it. He used the Father, but he didn't love the Father. And the older son who stayed there, he used the Father. Use the Father for a place to work. Use the Father for a place to live. But he didn't love the Father. Because when you love the Father, you give the Father first dibs on every scenario. See, what we do is we always think the worst, don't we? As soon as something happens, we get upset. See, it turns into the what rather than the what. Hey, hey God, I, I don't understand this in my life. Give him time. He might be able to explain it to you. But if you come in like, oh, God, I can't believe this. This is horrible. I just don't understand. See, that's what, the, that's what the older brother, that's what he did. He got so excited that he wouldn't listen to the father. See, that's a whole nother sermon. I preach that to the young people. But I preach it to you too. If you'd ever shut up and listen, God might be able to tell you something. Also. I'm a little frank. If you'd ever be quiet and listen, I don't want to offend anybody. But if you'd ever be quiet and listen, God might tell you. See, my question to you is that do you love the Lord? Do you love the Lord with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind? Do you love him not just on Sunday morning but on Monday afternoon? Do you love God when your boss makes you so mad that you want to punch him in the face? Or her? Do you love God then? Do you love God when your kids are making you so crazy that you could go outside and yell and scream at the top of your lungs? Do you love God then? Do you love God when your spouse is on your ever-living last nerve? I know none of y'all have struggled with that. I don't either, but ask Jesse. She struggles with it a lot. I get on her nerves. Occasionally it goes the other way. But do you love God in that moment? Do you love God in the moment that you can't explain? Do you love God in the moment that you can't understand? Do you love God in the moment that everything seems like all hell is breaking in you, loose in your life and that God's not around? Do you love God then? Do you have, as we sing, do you have trust without borders? Or you say, God, I'll trust you until this point. 
God, I'll trust you until this point. God, I'll trust you till this point. Do you love the Father? We have to understand that there is equal love. That's what will keep you off of living in porch poverty. You have to see that there is equal love from the Father for every single person. The difference is your love for him. The difference is your love for him. See, the second thing that you have to understand to avoid porch poverty is equal resources. Equal resources. When the older brother was complaining, the father stopped him and said, son, you're with me all the time. Don't you know that everything I have is yours? Equal resources. See, what we do is we see other people in their life and we get upset at the resources they have and the resources that we don't have. See, we live in an American society where greed runs our life. No matter how much money you make, it's never enough. No matter what size of house you live in, it's never big enough. If you're a guy, no matter what car you drive, it's never fast enough. The more hair you lose, the faster the car you got to get. Just, just saying, it's how it happens. When I lose mine, I'm going to get a fast car. Not saying anything about Danny Nix, don't think it. <laughs> I love Danny. We look at everybody else's resources, and we say, man, I wish I had their resources. Have you ever stopped long enough and understood that maybe some people have things that you don't have because they've made sacrifices you haven't made? We don't ever stop and think about somebody's story. All we do is look at what they have. We don't think of that they, maybe they've made some sacrifices in order to receive those things. See, can I tell you just a short story? I remember the very first time that I traveled to South Carolina to meet my wife's family. I walk into their house and I'm like, must be nice. I mean, must be nice. I mean, big ceilings, beautiful front yard. All kinds of dormers in the front, you know, that aren't fake ones. They're real ones. Three-car garage, you know, I'm like, wow, must be nice. See, and in the beginning, I valued their resources, but I didn't know the sacrifices that they made. I didn't know that they were living in a nice, really nice house when they got convicted that they weren't paying their tithes. I'm not giving a plug for tithes. I'm telling you about resources. They got convicted that they weren't paying their tithes. They looked at their budget, and if they cut everything off of their budget that they possibly could, they could not afford to pay tithes after their monthly budget. They did not have enough money left. So like most of us, they just said, oh, well, I'll just tip God. No, that's not how the story goes. They valued tithing so much that they sold their big, nice house and bought a much smaller house so that their house payment would go down so that they could pay their tithes. They made a sacrifice. So you walk into their house nowadays and you're like, dang, this is a nice house. I wish I had this nice of a house. I wish God would bless me with this house. Are you willing to make the sacrifice of selling your house? Are you willing to make the sacrifice to downgrade so that you can afford to give what God's declared for you to give? See, because they did that and they both received promotions at work. And not just the promotions that got them 
a little bit higher so that they actually got less money. But the promotions, they got promotions because they sacrificed things. And we see people's resources and we don't understand what sacrifice they made. See, the older brother failed to realize the sacrifice that the younger brother had. See, we think that it's just easy, but he wound up in the pig pen. He wasted all of his inheritance. He had to come to the place where he's like, you know what, I'm going to go back. He had to swallow his pride which most of us struggle with, he had to swallow his pride and come back almost crawling to the point of saying, Father, I screwed it all up. And if you'll let me, I'll be a servant of yours. See, he made a sacrifice. See, the older brother just thought that he went out, squandered his wealth, and came back. He never stopped to realize what sacrifices did he make. Is it possible that some people that you'd see that are blessed with resources that you don't have, is it possible that they've made sacrifices? It's possible. See, but let me tell you the other aspect of that. See, the older brother threw up in his father's face. You've never even thrown a small party for me and my friends. NIV says you've never given me a small goat so I could celebrate with my friends. You know what my question is to the older brother? Did you ever ask your father for a small goat? Did you ever come and say, hey, dad, listen, if you'll give me that little small goat, I'd like to have a party with my friends. Father says, all right, yeah, take that one. See, James chapter 4 and verse 3 tells us that we have not because we, and we don't receive when we ask because we ask amiss, ask with wrong motives. So you got to take it all into account. Maybe it's possible that you don't have something from God because you have not ever asked him. Maybe. Maybe the fact that you don't have the things that you, ha- that you need in your life is because when you ask for them, you ask for wrong motives. You ask God, God, give me a bigger house. And the reason you want a bigger house is so that when your friends walk in, they go, dang, he's got it. He's better than I am. Pride. Maybe you want to drive a nicer car so that when you drop your kids off at school, you can be like, oh, yeah. Everybody's like looking at you like, yeah, now he's making it in life. You're asking with wrong motives. You know what? I dare to believe that if you decided that you were going to want a bigger house so that you could take in refugees from sex trafficking, just maybe God might give you a bigger house. Maybe if you wanted a bigger house so that you could entertain more guests, so that you could pour the love of Jesus into those guests, just maybe God might give you a bigger house. See, the reality is is that some of the happiest people in the whole world don't have a house to live in, barely have clothes to wear, don't have a car to drive, no money to their name, and yet they still live happy. Because America has ruined us. America has ruined us that no matter what job you have, you got to have a better one. No matter what house you have, you got to have a bigger one, a nicer one. No matter what pool you got, it's not good enough. It's not full of water. It's got to have something different on it. No matter what car you drive, you're never satisfied that it gets you from point A to point B and doesn't break down. Because you always want more, 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 and more. It's the greed. 
See, the father told the other brother, everything I have is yours. What you have to understand about our father is that our father owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He not only owns the cattle, but he owns the fields. He not only owns the fields, but he owns the grass. And if you're in Oklahoma, he owns the oil that's underneath it and the natural gas that's underneath it. Our father owns everything, and he says, everything I have is yours. It's yours. You have to ask God for what you need. And when you ask him, you have to ask him with the right motives. Most of us ask God for things that are pretty selfish. We ask God for things for me. Why do you want your marriage to be better? Is it so that you can be happy? I don't know that that's the right motive. Why do you want your kids to act better than they do? Is it so that you're not embarrassed? Maybe that's the wrong motive. Why do you want more money? Do you need more money? Or do you just need to be more wise with the money that you have? Do you need a new car or do you need to take care of the one that you have? Do you need a new house or do you just need to vacuum the one that you own? I'm just being real. You know, you walk in, you're like, man, this house needs to be vacuumed. Well, I'm going to let somebody else do it. Probably not going to happen. I'm going to wait until my kid walks in the door one day and says, hey, don't, 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 don't worry about it. I'm going to vacuum the floors. Is that ever going to happen? <clears throat> Luke's probably not going to do that. See, but what we do, this is the problem. What we do is that we compare ourselves to other people, and it causes us to live in porch poverty. See, I saw an early glimpse of it with my boy Luke. He goes to Mother's Day out. And uh, St. Mark's Methodist Church right here on Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. I go there and I go to pick him up. And when I pick him up, I'm watching this little boy just walking around the floor. I mean, he's just, you know, I can tell he's just starting walking. But I mean, he's just walking everywhere. And I asked the teacher, I'm like, man, how much older is he than Luke? She's like, oh, actually, he's a month younger. Luke, what are you doing, man? Come on, let's get up in here. You got to start walking. You can't let him out, do you? I mean, come on, you're embarrassing me. I mean, I'm exaggerating, but I'm being honest. I was kind of like, whoa, whoa, what am I doing wrong? Am I, am I not? So I went home, and I'm like, Luke, stand on your own. Sit down. Nope, stand on your own. Sit down. Nope, no, 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 stand on your own. And when you hold him up to stand up, he just does this. Like, sit me down. Are you going to sit me down? It's like, straighten your legs, sit you down. I went home and tried to make him walk for the wrong motives. Because I thought, come on, Luke, you can't let this little kid out, do you, man? He's a month younger than you. Is this how you're going to live your whole life? So it starts. But isn't that what we do our whole life? We compare ourselves, we compare our kids. No wonder our kids can't do what they want to because they're constantly trying to do what you want them to do. Now, I could preach that to some parents. I could preach you not living 
your dreams through your kids, but I'm not going to go there. You just let God deal with you. But we compare ourselves to other people. Can I tell you that when you compare yourself to somebody else, you will always lose? There's only two ways that comes out of that. Either I'm not as good as they are, which is going to make you feel like junk and trash, or, hey, I'm better than they are, which is pride and arrogance, and you're going to fall. So what we do is we compare ourselves to other people, and there's no possible way to win when you're comparing yourself to somebody else. Let me tell you what Galatians chapter 6 and verse 4 says. Each one should test their own actions. Don't look at your neighbor's actions. Don't look at my actions. Don't look at your spouse's actions. Now, that's a word for somebody in this place. Maybe for me. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. You carry your load, I'm going to worry about carrying my load. Until I perfect carrying my load, I'm not going to worry about the load that you're carrying. I'm not going to worry about your actions until I get my actions under control. you got to quit comparing yourself to somebody else. See, the enemy will be successful if he can get you to focus on everybody else and not your own actions. If he can get you to judge everybody else, he wins. If he can get you to compare yourself to everybody else, listen, I can always find somebody that's not doing as good as I am so that I can feel better about myself. Well, you know, I can always find somebody that's doing better than me. Always. Always. The older brother got mad and angry when he compared what his brother was getting. To what he was getting. Seth, I'm going to have you come play for me. We compare what we're getting to what our brother and sister are getting. We compare what we're getting compared to the unsaved person and what they're getting. And we live in porch poverty because we focus on everybody else. We don't ever think about our own actions. Can I just tell you this morning, in my conclusion, that perspective changes everything? You know, if I could have the conversation with the older brother, if he was sitting right here in this chair right here, I'd let him ramble on and on and on as long as he wanted to. And at the first break, I'd stop him and say, do you know? that the father left the porch for you just like he left the porch for the younger brother it says that the father went out to the older brother I'd say doesn't that prove that he loves you he left the party he was having for his younger son who he thought was dead was now alive. He left all of that to come talk to you. Left it all to come talk to you. 
perspective changes everything. The way that you view your life is going to determine your life. See, it's the old school analogy, but you just can't get any better. If I had a glass and it had half the amount of water it could hold in it, how do you view that? Do you say that the glass is half empty and could be more? Or do you say that the glass is half full? Can I tell you we should make some people mad with our optimism? You ever been around that person, you're complaining about your life, but and they're like, well, at least you don't have this. Shut up. Are you listening to how bad I have it? I'm not talking about those kids in another country that don't have food to eat. I'm talking about all the problems in my life. In the Twitter world, we call it hashtag first world problems. All the traffic today, hashtag first world problems. Couldn't find anything to wear, hashtag first world problems. My kids are not as good as I want them to be. Hashtag first world problems. How about the perspective that you have kids? Because there's some that don't. How about the perspective that your kids are still alive? Because some people don't have that. Perspective changes everything. You can always think of all of the things in your life that you don't have but you wish you did. How about the things in your life that you don't have and you're thankful that you don't have? Because I know that some of you have had a pretty rough life. I know that you've had some horrible things happen to you. I know that I've cried tears for some of you that are sitting in this room because I can't imagine what it's like to go through what you're going through. But can I just tell you that perspective tells me there's other people that have had it worse. There's other people that are sicker than you are. There's other people that are poorer than you are. There's other people's marriage that are worse than yours. Why don't we start being thankful for what we do have rather than ungrateful for what we don't have? Perspective changes everything. And when you have the wrong perspective, you're living on the porch, but you're living in poverty. You have salvation, but that's as far as it goes. See, do you know that God saved you, not just for you? God saved you because of them and 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 them. Because you come in contact with all of them every single day and nobody else does. But we're so selfish in our thinking that we don't ever stop and think about them. We're so mad about what we're going through, we can't think about what they're going through. Perspective. Perspective changes everything. Lord Jesus, today, God, I pray that you would help us. God, that you would help us have the right perspective. 
God, I'm tired of watching Christians, even watching my own life sometimes, living on the porch but living in poverty, having salvation in our life but never accessing your love, never accessing your resources. Never accessing the love for somebody else. Never accessing the resources for somebody else. God, we're living on the porch, but we're living in poverty. God, help us. Help us today. God, help us to have the right perspective on life. Help us to have the right perspective about you. God, that we wouldn't let the world shape our perspective and view of you. But we'd let the word of God show us who you are. And the love that you have for us. In Jesus' mighty name. Every head bowed and every eye closed. I just want to ask you two questions this morning. Not going to embarrass you this morning, but just want you to acknowledge for your own sake. You can acknowledge answering the questions by raising your hand. I want to start and ask you the first question. Maybe you came today and you're not even living on the porch, you're far away. You're living in the pig pen. You're living in wild living, as the Bible says. And that you're not living on the porch. And you need to come back to the porch. You are the prodigal son that left. But you need to turn around and come back. I'm telling you, if that's you today, the father's going to get up and run and meet you today. If that's you in this room, I just want you to raise your hand and let me see who you are. I see your hand. I see your hand. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Anybody else? I'm off the porch and I need to get back on. I see your hand. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Would you stand with me this morning? I just want you to know that we had three people raise their hands and acknowledge, hey, I'm off the porch and I need to get back on. That's an incredible thing. And I want to say to each one of you that raised your hands that when you made that decision, the Father's already there. It doesn't take Him any time. It doesn't take any moments. There is no hesitation. He is there. That fast. There. As soon as you raise your hand, He's there. He's already grabbing you. He's already hugging you. He's bringing the best robe and putting it around you. He's putting the family ring on your finger and saying, He is mine. She is mine today. See, can I just share with you just real quickly? He put the sandals on his feet so that it would be protection. 
put the robe around him to cover. I'm sure he didn't smell good. Been hanging out with pigs. He covered. That's the grace of God. And the grace of God is outstretched for you now. And it's instant. So what I want to do is I want to lead us all in a prayer. We're all a family. I want to lead us all in a prayer. And I want you to repeat this prayer after me. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, this morning I acknowledge that I am off the porch. But God, I also understand that you ran to get me and put me back on the porch. Lord Jesus, I confess your name today that you are Lord of my life. God, I ask you to forgive me of all of my sins and to heal me from all of my sins. God, I believe today that you died on a cross and that you rose again and that you're going to come back one day. Thank you, Lord, for my salvation today. In Jesus' mighty name, will you give the Lord a hand clap of praise this morning? Incredible, incredible, incredible. I want to ask the rest of you a question. Are you living in porch poverty? Are you living your life on the porch, but you're not accessing what God has for you? Is that where you're living? Can I tell you that I find myself living in porch poverty more than I'd like to admit? I'm living on the porch, but I'm not living what God's called me to do. You know, the worst thing that could ever happen is that you have all the potential in the world and never access it. Never allow God to use you. So I want you right now to close your eyes and just get alone with God. And I want you to ask God, God, am I living in porch poverty? God, am I living on the porch but not accessing everything that you have for me in my life? God, am I living comparing myself to everybody else rather than just concerned with my own actions? And I want to give you the opportunity to acknowledge it. If you say, Woody, that's me. I've been living in porch poverty. I just want you to raise your hand. You can put it right back down. Yeah, I see your hands. I see your hands. I see them. been living in porch poverty. Lord Jesus, right now, I thank you for every single person that raised their hands in this room. God, I pray that every one of them that says they're living in porch poverty, God, I, ch I pray that you would change their perspective on life. That, God, they would no longer just be content with having salvation in their life, but they would never be content until you're doing everything that you have for them. That you're doing everything you can through them, Lord Jesus. That you're using them to advance your kingdom, God. God, I pray that you would forgive us for living in porch poverty. 
God, for living on the porch but not accessing the love that you have for us. God, not accessing the resources that you have for us. God, because we live our life in the wrong perspective. God, help us. God, I pray that you would help every single one of us in this room. That if at any point in time we begin to live in porch poverty, that you would remind us and say, don't live there. Don't be satisfied with that. Keep pressing in. Keep pushing further. And God, I pray that you'd help us all to access everything that you have for us. In Jesus' mighty name. God, right now I pray for everybody in this room, Lord Jesus, and I ask that you would bless them. Lord, I ask that you would bless them with every possible blessing that you have in the heavenly realms. God, I pray, Lord, that you would protect them. God, that you would keep them safe, that you'd keep them out of the enemy's hands, God, and that you'd keep them right next to your heart. God, I pray that they would begin to access everything that you have for them. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. You may be seated as Danny comes. All I got to say is God will give you. It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion Church resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion.